Paul and I would like to acknowledge that we record this podcast on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri people. We would like to pay our respect to the elders both past and present of the Kulin Nation and to other Indigenous Australians who may listen. Hi, I'm Beck, And I'm Paul. And this is DVD Clutter. Hi, Paul. Hi, Beck. Another fortnight, another DVD clutter? That's right. You're actually a bit glitchy today. Normally, we've had some pretty good distance recording, but you've kind of frozen a couple of times, so hopefully that doesn't affect us. Yeah. Unless you're just pretending like my students. <laughs> <laughs> I might close a bunch of my tabs too, actually. Good uh, idea. Anyway, another fortnight. We're, we're back again for an episode of DVD clutter. I had a fan of the show come up to me at work, one of my colleagues, and say, are you guys on hiatus again? And I said, no, we're fortnightly now. Yes. Don't worry, you'll get your fix this weekend. Well, yes, because I think people don't necessarily listen to every episode in order. Do you know what I mean? People are kind of like picking and choosing the movies that they want to listen to. Only the super fans. Well, yes, obviously the super fans listen to everyone straight away. So if you did miss the episode where we said we were going fortnightly... You may not have realized and you might have just thought, wow, they are some slack podcasters. Turns out we announced it. Yeah. And you know what? You might not have listened to that episode and you might not have listened to any episode. This might be your first one. And if it is. Oh, that's true. We'll quickly run you through. We've got too many DVDs, mainly me. I have a reasonable amount. We've decided to declutter them. But before we get rid of anything, we want to rewatch it. We want to discuss it. And then we decide whether we keep it. It goes to the op shop. Or it gets struck by lightning. <laughs> In the middle of a field. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. It's kind of, it's quite mindful, I feel, what we're doing. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, mi- it's mindful decluttering. That's a great way of looking at it, rather than trying to grasp onto my DVDs for <laughs> as long as <laughs> I can. A little bit longer. Yeah. No, I feel like, you know, we're considering things, we're talking about the merits of things, and even when we disagree, that's okay. Yeah. What are we going to maybe disagree on today? I think we're definitely going to disagree. This is a controversial film. Oh, wow. Okay. No, just kidding. I don't think so. <laughs> I, think, I think we'll be fine. Yeah, good. I thought I was really shocked by that. <laughs> no, no. Um, this week we're looking at Moonrise Kingdom, the Wes Anderson, 2012 Wes Anderson film. I'm holding the cover up so that you can probably hear that nice rattle of a DVD in a DVD cover. Um, holding this up to Paul so he can have a look. Mm-hmm. The Moonrise Kingdom is in that font that is all like, well, how would you describe that font? Like fairy, fairy-like? Yeah, like very fancy. Ye oldy. Mm. Yeah, and the cover just look, looks like, just imagine like quintessential Wes Anderson and you've probably got it. Bang on. So this is my film. Yeah. Um, this is my DVD, not my film. I did not write it. I got this, I think, when we were in Ararat, Paul. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think I bought it because I kind of went on a bit of a buying spree. I mean, when I say spree, not like you who have 500 DVDs, like a buying spree for me, which was like three or four DVDs. Yeah. Maybe even five because I wanted films to show my kids 
for teaching media. Uh, And this one is a lovely PG film, which, again, we kind of talked about this with last week with Lars and the Real Girl. It's always one of my aims as a media teacher is to try and expose the kids to types of films that they wouldn't normally go and see at the cinema. And this is another one that it's very palatable. It's PG, which means I can show it to my year 910s and it is different in a way that they're not going to go and they're probably not going to opt to see this at the cinema. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, interestingly enough, the uh, fan of the show, Joel from work, who asked if we were on a hiatus, he said that he used to teach this film when he was teaching media. Yes. Well, I mean, it's another one kind of, again, like Lars and the Real Girl, it's one that you can... There are kind of really obvious things to point out about the filmmaking, particularly if you want to talk about something like auteur theory, if you want to introduce them to some ideas about film theory, which we've talked about auteur theory before, I think mostly with Tim Burton. Uh, Tarantino. Oh, no, Tarantino. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Have we done a Tim Burton film? Yeah, Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah, Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah, we talked about it with Beetlejuice too, but also Tarantino. Yeah. Do you know what's really hard to find? Female auteurs. That's because there's fucking not enough women filmmakers. Yeah. Anyway. I bet people can name, like, hundreds of male ones, but whatever. Wes Anderson is another white male auteur. And mm. so that what that essentially means, if you haven't listened to our other episodes or you're new to filmmaking in general or film theory, it's just he has a consistent style, often consistent themes across all of his movies. And with him, it's very, like, pastel colour. It's the colour scheme. It's the way things are acted, the way things are shot. All very precise, all very, like kooky and kitschy which i think we'll get into kind of the set design and stuff later as well which is always nice to talk about yeah we'll have a broader chat as well about i guess wes anderson and probably talk about your thoughts and opinions on him as a director and as a auteur and yeah i will throw my opinions out there too such as my right yeah. as a white male <laughs> on a podcast all right, after that, I think I'm just going to mute you and I'm going to take solo control of this because that was truly horrific. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's it's a really easy one to teach because the, the filmmaking techniques are so obvious that you can talk about set design, you can talk about how that characterizes people and, you know, it's just a really easy one to teach with. It's kind of fun. It's really easy to watch. It's sweet. Yeah, that's why I bought it. I can't actually remember the first time I watched it and I don't know if I watched it before I bought it. But, I've, you know, we've all kind of familiar with Wes Anderson's work over the years. And this was, I think, when did we teach? It wasn't actually new when we taught, was it? Because that was like 2016. So mm. this was 2012. So it had been around for about four years, but it was kind of still new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, because this is the first time I'd ever seen it. Yeah. I remember when it was in the cinemas and wanting to go see it, but then, you know, missing it and then never getting around to it. And never really feeling as compelled to see it as I have with other, I guess, Wes Anderson ones. Why, do you reckon? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know if it gets sort of mentioned as much in the conversation about him as some of his mm. other films do. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, interesting. And we can talk about that further. Um, mm. Once I have gone through the plot of this film, in case you haven't seen it. Yes. Yep. The whole thing's set on this little island called New Penzance, which is in New England. And it's a really tiny island no roads. You can basically sort of walk everywhere on it. A fictional. Fictional, yes. Fictional island, yeah. We're introduced to the island through this uh, narrator who talks about it and then talks about this storm that's coming up. We then sort of get into the main plot of the movie. There's this scout troop with a scout leader played by Edward Norton. 
his name is Scoutmaster uh, Ward. That's it. And he's checking up on his scouts, and you see that one has gone missing. This one that's gone missing has resigned from the scout troop, and his name is Sam. Turns out Sam has run away um, with his pen pal, Susie, who lives at the other end of the island. Um, They met briefly while the scout troop was seeing a production of uh, Noah's Ark at the local church. About a year earlier. A year earlier, yes. And they'd become pen pals and they decided to run away together. Sam putting to use all his scouting techniques of map reading and such to find a, a getaway for them both. So they run away. The scout troops worried about Sam. Susie's parents, played by Francis McDormand and... Bill Murray. Bill Murray, that guy. He's pretty, he's pretty famous. Um, <laughs> pretty famous, yeah. yeah. They get really worried about Susie. So then the hunt's on to find them. The local police chief, uh, Captain Sharp, played by Bruce Willis, sort of leads the investigation. The scouts go on the hunt for Sam as well. They really didn't like Sam that much. I guess he was the, the bottom of the food chain. So everyone's hunting for them. The scouts find Susie and Sam. There's a bit of a confrontation. We find that Susie's got some um, issues with anger. <laughs> and violence. And violence. Um, she stabs one of the scouts, played by Lucas Hedges, when he was very young. I don't know him. What's, what's uh, You he know, from? he was in Manchester by the Sea and Ladybird. Oh. He's sort of one of those young guys that is around. Yep. Him and Timothy Chalamet Up and are like coming the two. love interests. Yeah. So there's that sort of confrontation. They get to where they want to set up. They call it Moonrise Kingdom. They're found by the local plane guy with a plane. Jed. Jed with a plane. He's the one who brings the mail over each yeah. day. They're pulled in. Susie's taken back and told never to see Sam again. Turns out Sam, who was an orphan, has been kicked out of his foster home. His foster parents, yeah. So he's going to have to go to a... Like a juvenile detention center, yeah. basically. Because no, apparently because of his record, they won't be able to find any foster parents for him. So the scouts then have a change of heart as they're discussing it. And they're like, even though we didn't like Sam, the right things to do to help him. So they help him and Susie escape again. They escape over to the mainland. Then everyone who's hunting them for them converges in a church where there's a lightning strike. Everyone survives, though, and ends up kind of happy. Um, Sam's adopted by Captain Sharp and Susie goes back to live with her parents, but still sees Sam. Yeah, they hang out because they live on the same island. Yeah. I missed um, saying that you've got Tilda Swinton in there as social services, who's sort of on the hunt for Sam once he's been assigned to the orphanage. Then you've also got Jason Schwartzman as Cousin Ben, who's sort of like a cool scout um, <laughs> wheeler and dealer. Uh, the cool the cool is in quotation marks. Yeah. Um, he, he's like the he's like the the weird adult that hangs around with teenagers. Yeah. Despite being like twenty one and everyone else is eighteen or seventeen, and he's the one buying them alcohol and kind of, but it, in a more in, um a more innocent version of that. That's it. And then you've also got Harvey Keitel as like the super scout leader. Yeah, the grandmaster scout leader. Yeah. Totally did not recognise him. Like we've talked about before, a bit of a chameleon, that man. Oh, yeah. But I think I got most of the main cast there and the basic story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll flesh it out as we go, I guess, because we'll kind of talk about a couple of different scenes and, and all that stuff. 
like we do. I guess I need to talk about whether or not this film holds up since I last watched it. Yeah, your rose um, tinted glasses reviews, but as this one didn't seem to sort of be a favourite of yours, it was more of a study piece. Yeah, definitely, definitely not a like a, an old favourite that I have very, like, I'm not very attached to it. I don't feel very sentimental about this one. Yeah, so I definitely bought it as a tax write-off and... <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I, um, yeah, I liked it. I liked it still this time around. There's a lot of stuff to, it's quite sweet. It's a, it's really a story about these two kind of outcasts finding each other and, and finding acceptance and love and belonging, I guess. And it's kind of about their burgeoning sexuality as well. You know, mm. their preteens, what they're like 14, 13, 14. So yeah, I mean, I made some notes about it. I don't know if, do you want to like say your bit and then we'll kind of discuss it as we go? Yeah, sure. But uh, I guess on the whole, d- did you like it, do you think? Oh, yeah. 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 I did. There's nothing in there that I was like, that's terrible. Like, yeah. It's it's like a, a lot of other Wes Anderson films, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it was. It, I think it was actually a bit sadder than I remembered. It was mm. a bit more like there was kind of the themes of him, of Sam. Lee. I forgot that Sam was an orphan, for example. And that whole idea of, of him losing his parents and kind of being an outcast in, in the way that he just had no home to belong to. And it, there's a really sad scene where he says to Susie that um, he finally felt like he belonged with his foster family, but we know as mm. the viewers that his foster family have just kicked him out and can't have him back. So that's kind of really heartbreaking. So And, and also with Susie's story, just she's obviously going through some kind of growing pains you know she's got she's her parents have this book called difficult children and how to cope with them or something like that which she found and she's has these violent tendencies which she kind of what does she say in the in the movie she says so and so says that i um is it aggression it's aggression but she they they have a word for it yeah i can't remember yeah but essentially she like just flies off the handle at the drop of a hat and gets quite aggressive. So she's been in trouble a few times for that, but also self-harming, like punching herself in the mirror, mm, yeah. punching things version of self-harming. So it was definitely touching on themes that I, that were deeper than I kind of remembered, I guess. Yeah. Which, which I liked. I thought that was good. There's the gender roles are very stereotypical. Mm. There's, it's very white. It's very, you know, it's kind of, I don't know. There's, it's very Wes Anderson. It was very kind of typical of Wes Anderson. Yeah. Which I, it's a bit. Sometimes they're a bit vanilla for me. So which was nice, I guess. These having these deeper themes there. And that's kind what of, I was kind of nice. That's what I guess my feelings on it. Like I in no way disliked it, but as far as a, a Wes Anderson film goes, this wouldn't be one that would be my favorite, or probably one that I'd sort of you know really recommend, recommend. to anyone to jump into it it's sort of you know yeah another one of his and I, I really felt a lot of the Wes Anderson-ness of it was maybe even a bit too much like I I, I felt you know but they're, I found them all a bit like that to be honest all of his films yeah, yeah. I do I don't know I just got a, a, a particular feeling with this one and maybe it's because I don't know it's one that I've watched after seeing a lot of his other ones, that I just kind of got yeah. the feeling that even he, to some extent, was going through a little bit of the motions of what of what a Wes Anderson film was. Yep. 
yeah, and in no way to say that that ruined it for me, but it did to an extent take me out of it yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And I did feel like there was less of a, a sense of direction to what what he wanted to sort of say with it, I think, than some yeah. of the films that I like more of his. But then again, also, like, I'll put it out there, the my two favourite Wes Anderson ones are Life Aquatic and um, Royal Tenenbaums. And Which are both a bit earlier, aren't they? Yeah, and they're also ones that I guess very much deal with male angst. And, um, <laughs> you know, and maybe it's just because I gelled with them better, whereas this one I think mm. he's actively trying to look a bit broader than his own personal experience to an extent. Well... Yeah, he is, yeah. but he's he's definitely drawing on his own personal childhood experience. Yeah, I think. Yeah, um, maybe life for him. He's looking at his life before instead of his life at the moment. At that time, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I can see that there's also yeah very much a heavy element of personal preference going into that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a, it was a beautiful film to watch because mm. it's very it's a feast for the eyes, as they say. It's very aesthetically pleasing. There's these beautiful pastel color palette. It's set in the 60s, so everything's kind of got that yellow, which I actually associate more with the 70s, but it's that mustard color everywhere. And his the yeah, the attention to detail like all of his films, I guess, the attention to detail in the set design is something that I really appreciate and it makes the film easy to watch even if it's not going to stay with you, I guess. It's kind of like candy in a way, like yeah. a lolly. Like you that's, kind of enjoy it in the moment and then you're like, yeah, that's finished now. That's a good way of thinking about it, I think, yeah. Yeah. I love seeing all these actors together. It's nice to see them playing often against type. Mm. So the last time we talked about Edward Norton was in American History X and... <laughs> Obviously, he's playing a very, very different character here, which was nice to see. Yes, but also, like, I was thinking about that while I was watching it, obviously, because I knew that we were going to talk about it. Yeah. I think there were still sort of this similarities in his character, and I think part of who he is and the, the way that he acts suits both roles in that it's someone who is downtrodden and a bit dweeby. And I think, you know, obviously, yeah. American History X, he's very aggressive against that and counterattacks to you know, his own sort of dweebiness and self-dislike. Whereas in this one, he sort of sits into it or is maybe even passive to it to a large extent. An absolutely fantastic scene where the scouts all ask him, what do you do for your real job? And he goes, I'm a maths teacher. And then a few bits later, no, strike that. This is my real job. I do maths teaching on the side. (laughs) Yeah, it's so cute. It's really cute. Yeah, it's really sweet. It's... And he plays it so well. The whole, like, the scout setup is kind of kooky anyway. Just scouts are weird. I was a cub yeah. At, yeah. when I was a kid. But um, I learned a lot. Oh, yeah, thanks. Dib, 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 dob, 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 etc., etc. Okay, la, we'll do our best. Yep. yep. Is that what you did yep. as well? Yeah. It's all coming back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole setup of the scouts was pretty weird. It was very, like, regimented and he was, like, quite mean to some of them. Yeah. In terms of his, like, when he's, like, inspecting what they're doing, they're all off, you know, doing their little jobs and he's like, no, that's not good enough or, you know, whatever. And then someone serves him breakfast and he kind of sits at the middle of the table with all these scouts around him. It's very strange. That's not my experience of scouting. No, but it was, yeah, it was very much a um, Wes Anderson sort of lens on it too. Yes. But also that (laughs) sort of regiment but kind of weird under the surface suits his aesthetic so well so 
It's a yeah. nice marriage there. No girls in the, in the scout. Cub Scouts. No. Well, I think that would just be accurate for the 60s, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but who cares about accurate? We want change. Yeah. Um, I don't think he cares about accurate. No, no, not at all. Where's Anderson? <laughs> yeah, but I liked seeing I liked seeing Edward Norton play that kind of... He was also kind of going through a journey, that character, because he was finding his self-confidence as a scout leader. He's obviously not very well respected by the other scout leaders over at the bigger mm. scout camp, which was... Uh, I forget what it was called. Sup Fort something. Yeah, that's it. Which was where Harvey Cartel's character kind of was the head honcho. And, oh, yeah, he says, actually, that was one of my notes, because Harvey Cartel says to him, I think he calls him a little bitch. Yeah, I think so. Oh, he calls him son of a bitch. Yeah. And then as he rips off his, because he, he's lost Because, <laughs> first of all, he loses Sam, who's our main character, and then he kind of gets in trouble for that. And obviously they're all off searching for Sam. And then once the scout troop decides that actually they're going to go and help Sam, they all run away. So then poor old um, scout master Randy, oh, Randy yep. <laughs> scout master Ward has lost his whole troop. And then he has to go and go over to the bigger boss and be like, oh, I've lost my whole troop. And then he obviously is like, you're a terrible person. You're a terrible leader. And rips off his scout badge, his scout leading badge, scout master badge, and calls him a son of a bitch. Yeah. I was like, "Woo, that's pushing it. For, that must have been the only one they could get in for a PG rating. Yeah. But then he proves himself because that Harvey Cartel's character goes back into a shed and then get, that shed gets, like, blows up or something and he has to run in and, and get him out. And so eventually he proves himself to be a very brave scout leader. Yeah. And he kind of grows into his own and has some self-confidence. Yeah. So he's got his own little journey he's going on. He does. But I don't know. The ending, I think, if we can sort of segue into that, was one of the bits that I did kind of struggle with a little bit with the movie. Like trying to find sort of where the movie actually kind of finds its peak. Because of moments like that where he sort of does the saving from that or the moment just before where um, Sam got struck by lightning. By the time mm. we get to this church... So there's a big storm going on while all the scouts are on the run. So everyone's trying to find sanctuary in this church because it's on high ground. And that's where all the characters sort of meet up. But I felt by the time that the story sort of got there, I was kind of a bit lost in what the climax of the movie was going to be. Did you? Yeah. It's pretty like, it's pretty clear because the two characters are like about to jump off this mm. massive tower and probably kill themselves. Like it feels, that's definitely the high point of tension. Yeah, I get that. But I just kind of felt like the, the rise to it was sort of like, weirdly staggered right I, I don't know by the time we got to that bit where they're on the sort of ledge i just felt a bit drawn out of the movie i think you didn't care anymore yeah mm, that's interesting i feel like the ending was predictable in a way like not the fact that they were gonna, about to jump off this thing but we knew that sam was going to be adopted by someone on the island because they yeah. all were feeling so bad for him and yeah we knew it was going to have a kind of mostly happy ending but he's adopted by the policeman mm. another kind of downtrodden character yeah played by in fact everyone is downtrodden in this yeah. movie played by um bruce willis bruce willis and again i really enjoyed seeing him in this very dweeby very like not macho character yeah when yeah you think about what he's known for that's it and I, I was also really glad to see him and i think one of the things that really intrigued me about the movie was bruce willis in a wes anderson movie yeah i don't know and again i'm sound i'm sounding more negative than i think again i want to say that overall i enjoyed this movie but i'm you know here to pull pieces apart 
I just feel like Bruce yeah. Willis didn't fully commit to it, you know? Really? Yeah. I feel oh, like he was, watch closely enough. he was a breath away from something really excellent, but I don't know, that just didn't quite capture things, I guess, how I wanted. Oh, I really liked him. I really enjoyed watching him in that in that role. Fair enough. I just, I just feel like, I don't know, I don't know what it was. I can't put my finger on it, but it just felt a little bit off. Like, yeah, I, could, I couldn't quite click. I actually often find it... I find it hard... I found other Wes Anderson movies hard to connect with the characters sometimes because he has this way of directing them to be quite... Yeah, exactly, Peggy. <laughs> quite blank-faced, like, quite like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my parents are kind of dead. Or, you know, like, yeah, I hate it when my parents fight too. I found this book under my bed about kids who are whatever... It just very like ma, 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 ma. no intonation in the voice, very the opposite of melodramatic. Yeah, and sometimes I find that hard to deal with. So I thought Bruce Willis actually did a good job of kind of managing that that kind of flat line and still managing to have to really show the the feelings of disbelief when the foster parents said he can't come back and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe it's also my feelings towards Bruce Willis. I often find outside of his real wheelhouse it hard to sort of see him do much else, you know? Right. Um, and maybe that's... Mate, that's funny. And maybe maybe I'm just so delighted to see him do something else. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, maybe... I've, There's kind um, of two ways you could approach that. Overly critical to anything apart from a diehard movie. Exactly. <laughs> you should look at that yeah. because that's probably a problem for you. <laughs> should we talk about the other famous actors who are in here? Yeah, why not? We've got through two. Well, we've got... Let's do another segue because we've got the very wonderful, talented Frances McDormand Mm -hmm. who plays Susie's mum and she's actually having an affair with Bruce Willis's character. So that's a nice little segue, right? We can talk about her. Yeah, that's it. I thought she was great. You see, yeah, as opposed to, I guess, Willis, who I sort of had that trouble believing his spot in the world, I felt that Frances McDormand fit perfectly in, you know? But maybe that's kind of the point with his character because he he didn't fit into the world. He was he was single. He lives in a trailer. Yeah, he but- has obviously lost the love of his life when he was young. He's in love with someone who's married. You know, like he's kind of like this bit of a oddball. I, I get that. And I know and we've talked about it already, but I, I just couldn't get over the fact. I felt like it was Bruce Willis playing a character in a Wes Anderson movie, not a Wes Anderson character, you know? That's that's just right. the feeling that I felt, and I couldn't shake it. Yeah, fair enough. Whereas, yeah, Frances McDormand, I thought was was excellent, and I think she really sort of portrayed that sort of lurking sadness that all the adult characters have yeah. incredibly well. Especially, I th- thought in her conversations with Susie. Yeah, there's that beautiful scene where she's where they get Susie back, and she's in a bath, and her mum's with her, kind of just talking about you know what life is like for her, and. Yeah, that was a really beautiful scene and just showed like that understanding and I don't know, she's just a very expressive actress, I think. Mm. And just yeah, the- she's very calming to see, like you just trust her, I think, on the screen. She knows what she's doing. I think so and sort of yeah, a very um believable vulnerability sort of quite a um, intense emotional scene where Susie says to her mother, "I hate you." And just the the yeah. the reaction there, that you can see the hurt, but also just the calm sort of you say that now but you don't mean it sort of yeah uh, yeah Yeah. very powerful scene and i think acted very well yeah definitely and then the father played by bill murray standard fair i had no real thoughts about his character the relationship between them was was quite interesting and i think that was apparently was anderson's 
parents broke up when he was quite young um, and that has kind of, you know, influenced him to explore these kind of crumbling marriages throughout different films. Mm. So obviously this marriage is kind of falling apart. They sleep in separate beds. (laughs) Um, (laughs) My grandparents did that too, but only like when they were in their 70s, I would say. Yeah, it was... I think, yeah, it's a great sort of um, relationship they sort of have there. And so in the film, they're both lawyers and there's this great scene where you sort of realise they're sleeping in separate beds where they're just going through each other's cases um, with Mm. all this legal jargon that just, Mm. yeah, I thought was very clever. I kind of liked that they were lawyers too. It was so unexpected on this rural island. They're both like these apparently high-powered lawyers with all these like crazy intense cases going on. Oh, the other thing that I enjoyed was Frances McDormand using a bullhorn to call all of her kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which apparently, so we should say it was written by Wes Anderson, but along with him, he was working on it for a while and then he got Roman Coppola to come and write it with him, who is a Coppola of Francis Ford Coppola's legacy. Yep. I don't know. How is he? Brood of children. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's, he's the son of Francis Ford Coppola and Eleanor Neal. Um, sis, his brother to Sophia Coppola, who, yeah. what am, am I saying Coppola? Is it Coppola? I, Coppola? I think it's, I always say Sophia Coppola. Yeah. I say Coppola too for, for Sophia, but then for Roman, I went the other way around, which is weird. Yep. <laughs> his, Sophia Coppola is his sister. Yeah. So and Nicholas obviously Cage is his cousin. films, is he yeah. actually? Oh my God. I just saw that. That's so weird. Big film family. But apparently his, that little part of it was inspired by some of his experiences with maybe his mum. I might be making this up as I go along, but maybe his mum using a bullhorn to call all, all the, her all kids, kids together. together. It's, it's a practical yeah. idea, especially oh, in yeah, a large I can't house. wait to use it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I totally needed that because we grew up, I grew up on this massive property and if someone would call for mum or dad and they're like down in the paddock, <laughs> I would literally stand at the front door and be like, Mum! Jenny's on the phone! And then everyone would think, you know, something terrible was happening. Yeah, no, I I get that. Um, So, bullhorn all the way. Yes. Maybe not in Brunswick. <laughs> no, no, fair enough. The other sort of big name actors in this are all in tiny parts. Tilda Swinton does her thing as social services. Yeah, a little, last little touch that she was just called social services yep. and never referred to as anything else. Kind of the dehumanising of the social system. A little political statement there. There was a few other little political statements, I guess, like just about the fact that, you know, he was going to go to this juvenile detention centre yeah. situation. The whole kind of social services system as a whole, obviously flawed and heartless, I guess. It was kind of like just depersonalised. Yeah, 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 yeah. It kind of reminded me, there was, there's a couple of scenes where... Well, it reminded me of a couple of films, actually, and I'm interested to see if you got any of this, but you might not know the films. Or did you want to go through the rest of the actors? Sorry. Oh, I think we sort of covered everyone. Didn't Who didn't we cover? Ben Schwartz? Yeah. Harvey Cattell? No, I think that's it. They, they've got small yeah. parts that, and they do them. Fine. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about some of my notes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And some of the films that reminded me of or stories that it reminded me of. Well, obviously, we've got this kind of ongoing theme of Noah's Ark. We've got the story about Noah's Ark and then this flood is coming and the kids are often dressed as animals. Read what you like into that, I guess. Also, these, this kind of... It's a it's a love story between two innocents and that could be, you know, Adam and Eve. We've got a lot of, you know, there's that. They're kind of innocence in the wild, innocence in this unspoiled 
Eden. Eden, yeah, thanks, yeah. <laughs> of their little beach where they kind of get away from everybody else and, and finding their own paradise. But it also reminded me... There was there's a couple of scenes where Susie what she decides to pack with her is her record uh, her brother's record player a couple of records including I'm gonna probably butcher this name but Francois Hardy oh no that's all right Francois Hardy um, who's a very famous kind of pop singer in that era of time in France and her songs are beautiful they're you know some of the only French songs that I listen to when I pretend that I can speak French. Um, <laughs> and she brings a lot of books. So she brings uh, her suitcase is pretty much full of books and they're all these fictionalized books. Cause I looked them up cause I was interested to see if they were real books. Cause she says this beautiful line, which I resonate with that. She likes stories with female protagonist, mostly female protagonists in them. And she talks about they they generally have a superpower or some kind of, some kind of fantasy novel with mostly with female protagonists, which I thought was a nice little touch. But all these books are made up. They all had their covers designed by someone and Wes Anderson wrote the little passages that she reads out. Mm. So there's a couple of different scenes where she reads these passages from her favourite books out loud to, first of all, just to Sam, but then also to the rest of the scout troop when they decide to come and save both of them. So when, first of all, they kind of don't like Sam and then halfway through the movie after they find out he's an orphan, they realise, oh no. And actually that's another great scene where they're all kind of bitching about it and then one of the one of the kids is just facing, he's like, he's <laughs> they're all in their treehouse and he's looking out into the distance and he just goes, no, yep. we have to go and save him. And then everyone's like, oh. And then they're like, yep, okay, we'll go and save him. Yep. So after they have gone to save them and, and all of them are kind of out in the wilderness again in their tent. So there's Susie and Sam sitting together and then there's all these other little boys kind of dotted around and Susie's reading out loud. Yeah. And it really reminded me of Peter Pan and yeah. Wendy in Peter Pan. Yeah. And Wendy and the Lost Boys. Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah. Yeah, so I kind of liked that. I was... I'm. Um, Loved Peter Pan. Peter Pan was my favorite, like Disney film, favorite book when I was a kid, favorite everything. Just loved the whole story of Peter Pan. And that was very much reminiscent of Wendy kind of looking after the lost boys and reading to them. So that was one of the ones that it reminded me of. Did you watch Peter Pan when you were a kid? Yes, I definitely did enough to remember that I watched it, but I think I watched Hook maybe a bit more. Oh yeah, I hated mm, Hook. Fair enough. I know it's controversial, but I just was never a big Robin Williams fan. Yeah, look, I'm not I'm not here to judge, but I just remember that was one that just always seemed to be on Channel 9. I, I oh, like yeah. have <laughs> yeah. a memory of like, yeah, the Channel 9 promos going into Hook. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's a kind of a, not Hook, but Peter Pan is a is similar themes in terms of youth and holding on to innocence. And I guess that, I guess this one's about that change from, from childhood to adulthood, but Peter Pan is obviously about that eternal ongoing childhood. Yeah. Um, And I guess he is a lost boy in a way, isn't he? He's an orphan. All the lost boys are orphans. So there's a lot of that similarities there. Um, The other one, it reminded me of was Blue Lagoon. Never seen it, but have heard of it. Do you want to talk a bit more about it? Yeah, I watched this film when I was young, like probably 13 maybe, maybe 10 or 10, 11, 12, 13, something like that. And if you haven't seen Blue Lagoon, it's pretty full on for that age range, but it is about young kids. It's about like a maybe 13 or 14 year old who gets shipwrecked off, you know, it's like in the, gosh, I don't even know what era it's set. In the old days. It's set in the old days. 
Yes? No? Yeah, I'm trying to just Hello? figure out when it was said. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's got... In the late Victorian period, it says. There you go. Okay, there you go. Yeah. It's got Brooke Shields in it, and it's got Christopher Atkins, who probably nobody will know who that is, but <laughs> you will see him again in our DVD collection when we do one of my movies. Yep. The pirate movie. Oh, you have seen him in the. I've made you watch the pirate movie, yeah. didn't I? Yeah. So he's from the pirate movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did. He did this before the pirate movie. Yeah, and that's about all he did, but, right? Oh, and it's from. It's from the director of Greece. Did you know that? No, I did not know that at all. Yeah, I'm literally just reading that from the director of Greece. Randall Kleiser brings to the screen a sense a sensual story of natural love. And this story is about two cousins who get stranded on this island and they kind of grow up here. You know, she gets her first period. He starts masturbating. They discover sex. They have a child. And eventually they kill themselves because they want to stay in their own world rather than they see someone coming to actually rescue them and they decide to eat these poisonous berries so that they die. Full on. So it's really full on. It's really full on. It's really full on. But I guess that they're... There's similarities in that it's about this kind of young, burgeoning sexual identity. And that's replicated in the scene where Sam and Susie like make out for the first time. And there's references to him getting an erection and touching her breasts and that kind of stuff. That kind of early sexuality. The film seemed to receive some sort of like, you know, that was controversial about the film. It's sort of treatment, the the sexualization, uh, especially of Susie. Yeah. Which, you know, I can understand that criticism, but yeah. my viewing of the film was a, it, it was an exploration of um, coming to terms with sexuality and sexual identity a bit. And I think that was sort of necessary to it. Like, I mean, a scene that's discussed is the there's a scene where Susie dances to the record player in her underwear. And, yeah. you know, it is sexualized to an extent but i don't think in an exploitative manner i think it's about getting the point across your thoughts yeah no i i totally agree and i think there is a there's a thin line to kind of balance there for a filmmaker i mean i think she was wearing these kind of bloomers they weren't real they were undies but they were quite like puffy undies if you yeah. get what i mean and it was kind of i don't know that was a bit they weren't they were like teenage girl undies you know they're not like sexy undies yeah and that was there was like those kind of subtle reminders that they're kids, and it was pretty cute the dancing, like they were sweet with each other. Yeah, and I think the whole sort of Moonrise Kingdom sort of beach scenes, the I think that was something I thought while watching the movies was sort of this year does sort of get to that thin line as you sort of said, but I think importantly mm. the way that it's shot is it does pay attention to its gaze and it's never a sort of lingering. Um, mm. Oh yeah, sort of thing. It is. It's not. It's not the typical like triple X. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not the voyeuristic. No, no, no. You know the the slow pan up someone's legs kind of situation. Yeah. It's literally a wide shot on the two of them dancing. Yeah, and I think um, and we kind of we come in a bit closer when they they get closer together, but. It, there's no kind of none of that voyeuristic feeling to it, I guess. That's it, and I think any sort of scenes in that sort of section of the film where um, you do see Susie in her underwear, or you see any of the kids, either Susie or Sam, hugging, or there's the scene where they're discovered and they've got their arms around each other in their underwear in this little mm. tent, which it is. I think it's just fantastic because Bill Murray just comes and lifts yeah. the tent up and sees them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, again, it's it doesn't ever sort of yeah give that 
sexy, as you said, voyeuristic kind of look. It's it's a very awkward, this is a teenage body and this mm. is it, mm-hmm. feeling, you know, what a, a discovery. Yeah, this is trying to figure it out. This is like the, totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's done pretty well in this film. Less confronting probably than the Blue Lagoon. <laughs> in the Blue Lagoon, it's pretty, it's pretty full on. I just remember I, these scenes like literally burned into my brain and I probably watched this. When did this come out? 1980. It came out in 1980. I definitely didn't watch it then. Can I tell you a couple of the scenes? Sure. We'll put a content warning These on. ones are burned into my brain. Yeah, please. Um, so the first one is him standing on like an outcrop, a rocky outcrop, just like masturbating into the void. <laughs> it's like having a great time and she kind of sees him and is like what's he doing this is actually sad okay this is i'm gonna do an analysis of these memories okay because these these are the things that these are the things that the filmmakers picked as what shows that you becoming a from a child to an adult right or what is your your first kind of that change so he's masturbating having a great old time what is her equivalent scene what do you think it is yeah getting a period and like, how fucked is that? How fucked is it that the male gets to have this great old time, has an orgasm for the first time, loves it, sick, and she just fucking bleeds out her vagina and thinks she's dying? Well, I think it's, that's also, I, from my personal experience with sexual education in schools, there's a lot of how awful, well, not, you know, it's always luckily framed in a more positive sort of light that, you know, periods are normal, but there's a lot of sort of like, there's a lot of <laughs> I hope they said that in <laughs> oh, your yeah, school. That's it. But there's a lot of like <laughs> and periods are fucking disgusting. <laughs> but there's a lot of framing of that. There's you know it, there's a lot of work and there's a lot of stuff going on. And then very much the boys' side of things is like, yeah, wet dreams might be a bit of a embarrassment, but the rest of it pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you might get a stiffy yeah. in class. <laughs> yeah. Now back to this. Yeah. Yeah. It just it's it just skews that whole idea that female pleasure isn't important and that female sexuality is kind of, I don't know, I'm not straight, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, lesbians have like the, the highest rate of mutual orgasms, you know, across the, across the board. So we know who's looking out for who. And I just don't think that's the case with when I hear about experiences in the heterosexual world i feel like and i mean this is because this is how it's taught to us on tv as well if the man is finished the sex is finished you know what i mean blue lagoon um it's to blame blue lagoon (laughs) no it all traces back to the 1980 blue lagoon but yeah that film is so full-on those were two of the major scenes that that stood out to me and then i think that the other one was about when they were about to kill the baby by feeding it these blueberries that were poisonous also full on. Yeah. I'm glad that this film took a different approach to um, burgeoning sexuality. I'm glad to. I'm glad to. But I encourage our listeners to go and watch The Blue Lagoon because it is, it's interesting. It's a film, that's for sure. Good. Well, let's bring the conversation. Do you, well, I've got some more notes. I don't know. Back to, yeah, Moonrise Kingdom. What else do you have to say? Yeah. Oh, I just had another, one other film that it kind of reminded me of. Yeah. I don't, okay, did you, I'm interested to, See if you if you thought this too. So the film has a narrator who's this guy who like lives on the island mm. and he's kind of a short guy or he's filmed to look quite short. He's always filmed from like a high angle looking down on him and he's wearing like these fingerless gloves and a red coat thing. And it just really reminded me of that guy in Twin Peaks. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, 
I've never watched all of Twin Peaks, so oh. I know. Have you watched some of it? I've watched the first three episodes a few times. Oh, damn it. I've got okay. the DVDs, though. I think you've got them, yeah. don't you? Yeah, that's why I thought. I was like, oh, Paul will understand if I say this. But you, you got Twin Peaks vibes. Yeah. Yeah, just from this just from this character, because there's a similar kind of character. Not a, narr- not a narrator, but this person who kind of, like a Shakespearean kind of fairy. You know, the helper? That, what's that um, stereo? Not a stereotype. What's that? The, like the fairies in um, Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes, like Puck yeah. in Midsummer Night's and Dream. I, exactly. I think that was from what the brief reading I sort of did on Moonrise Kingdom. Like Midsummer Night's Dream was sort of a bit of a inspiration to an extent to it. I think um, some of the score tracks were named after lines from Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh wow! Um, I didn't know that. That's yeah, cool. and you can sort of, you can pick up on that kind of vibe from it. It is a little bit like that. You know, that sort of dreamy. Hmm what's happening what's yeah not. totally world of our own sort yep. of thing yeah well when we do because we'll eventually we'll do twin peaks and then you can tell me if you're like yes. yeah i see that oh my god this was funny in one of the once sam's been discovered that he's missing the first time and the scoutmaster what's his last name ward scoutmaster ward scoutmaster ward who is edward norton's character has he's making his like daily log and he, you know, he starts recording and he says, day one of missing yep. Scout. Morale is low. And he kind of does that little thing. And I don't know where, where, like, I don't know where I was exposed to that as a child, but me and my siblings used to do that all the time. It was like one of our go-to things. Like we were just like, let's say we went camping. We'd be like, day one of camping. Morale is low. <laughs> <laughs> like Milo ran out today. Did you ever do that? No, or is I've that got no idea where you got that from. But it's excellent. It maybe. <laughs> I don't know where we got it from either. Like we, it was like an ongoing joke. Like if someone was upset about something, we'd be like, day three of of hiking. <laughs> Jordy lost his socks. Morale is low. <laughs> I don't know where we got it from. It could be because Dad. I feel like maybe Dad made us watch like some of those Antarctic videos oh, yeah. where morale was low. Who's that guy? <laughs> morale was really low. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where we got it from, but it just wormed its way into our vocab. So obviously, when he did that, that made me laugh a lot because that reminded me of being on on camping trips with my siblings and making notes about yeah. morale. <laughs> Very weird. Mm. Um, but we, those we little odd children. I. I think those little um scenes where he does do the the diary are fantastic and i think that's where you really get to see edward norton getting that character i think you know like getting the real mm. what's going on behind it yeah yes he he uh is able to kind of be himself i guess and not have to put on a face yeah. for the others i liked i've just put down i can't actually remember where i got this from but i wrote the words beige lunatics yeah um it was do you remember what that was in it reference was when to bill murray was Talking about who was looking, who was looking for his daughter. <laughs> oh, and it was he was talking about the scouts. Yep. He's like, not these beige yep. lunatics. I thought that was very yep. funny, and I think that was great. Bill Murray does, as he often does, gets a lot of the great sort of one-liners. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that one's gonna work its way into my insults list. Yeah. Um, I feel weird about the kind of fetishization of indigenous cultures that scouts have kind of taken on and that was kind of really embraced in this film to a certain extent there was a couple of headdresses present and a couple of the names of the camps are after indigenous the indigenous cultures who were initially on the or originally on the land yeah like it's like i don't know it's like that what is that weird thing where it's like fascination with a culture but not actually it's not like respect it's like 
using it for the sake of making something seem deeper than it actually is. I might have been reading too much into this film's take on that, but I kind of, it was commenting on the fakeness of it, the fakeness of the scout troops sort of obsession with it. Um, Oh, okay. Do you reckon? Yeah. And sort of the way that they interact with the land is very, yeah, it's putting on a, putting on a show rather than sort of becoming part of it or really understanding it. Hmm. I felt weird about it because they, there's that part when they're trying to find him, they discover that he apparently had expressed an interest in, you know, hiking this trail that the indigenous people, the whatever tribe used to do you know, all made up as part of this imaginary island. And then you kind of got that bit going on. And then you've got the two, you've got Sam and Susie. Susie standing, yeah, standing there going, yelling, this is our land, this is our land. Oh, yeah. And I felt that was kind of weird. Yeah, I wouldn't have originally, so yeah, picked up straight on that. But yeah, it is a complicated, I think, relationship the film has with it and whether it was... I mean, yeah, I and I think America in general has a terrible relationship with their indigenous cultures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, cultures. I think it's, and it couldn't, like, it was part of the um, incorporating the scouts. I think sort of it couldn't have been left alone. Yeah. But it, it wasn't probably explored enough or it wasn't explored the right amount. No. So that was something that was kind of weird. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for this one? I might be reaching with my analysis of this no, one. No, that's all right. Let's get on to this one. Okay. Because, you know, this might be the point. Okay. That- decides whether you're going to keep this film or not okay so after they've had their little dance i think he brings her a present of some earrings that he made out of fishing hooks but she doesn't have her ears pierced so he pierces her ears and i wrote penetrating her with earrings question mark question mark question mark now now you're um you're thinking like a film study student student, you know that would be a paragraph that would be paragraph two in your in your so. film studies essay on Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> I think yeah. so. I mean, what do you think? Well, I think, yeah, all of that whole that whole scene is about, yeah, their, um, I guess, discovering of sexuality and maturity and what that means to them. And I think, yeah, I think mm. that's, that's part of it. There's also, like, the very visible mm. blood, um, mm. you know, that goes mm. from her ear as well. So piercing the hymen. Well, yeah, or... A, a traditional loss of innocence, sort of. I think you're you're reaching as any film scholar would. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing my essay right now as we speak. Yes. In same similar to that, there's a, that scene where he's finally staying the night with the cop with Bruce Willis's character, and Bruce Willis offers him some beer, and he tips out the rest of his milk and fills it up with beer. And I thought that was a very kind of obvious uh or not expression a very obvious showing of boy to man yeah you're right and actually the more that you sort of talk about these little touches the more i probably didn't give the film enough credit for what it was going for not that that Mm. that scene in particular was particularly subtle but i did forget that it was that they do sort of piece in bits and pieces in there um quick note on traditional gender roles yep 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 very traditional male action, female inaction, and following what he says. Um, he's the one with the maps. He's the one with the tent, etc., etc. Found that pretty irritating. He was so fucking bossy. I was like, shut yeah. up, you dickhead. And um, as I, but yeah, I mean that's no surprise. Yeah, and and that's and also like looking at Wes Anderson's movies and what you know I talked about sort of that middle-aged white male experience is sort of the theme that he looks at a lot. And this one was a step away from that theme, but it was to a teenage white male experience like you know um yeah yeah so totally 
it's not it's yeah not and while like Susie was Susie was a great character and she had you know I love that she was into books and all that stuff but it's it fits the stereotype you know yeah. it fits the kind of active male passive female stereotype and there's no effort to reverse that oh actually that's not true because she goes she has a little outbursts doesn't she mm. so that was kind of nice yeah and it sort of yeah it toys with it but it doesn't sort of fully commit to anything outside no. of the norm really um no not right. quite tokenistic but sort of yeah not substantial enough e- either i guess just cut that bit yeah, out can do and last minute thoughts are last minute thoughts are just on the actual dvd itself oh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah sorry we um, didn't get time we there's... got too distracted by that's okay blue lagoon <laughs> there was only one bonus feature, which was a set tour with Bill Murray, which was super disappointing. It was really boring and didn't tell me anything new. Um, and he was just being his like normal kooky self. And that was it. That was the only special feature. I was really annoyed at that because I was like, come on, this is DVD time. Yeah. Maybe streaming was coming in then. I'm not I sure. I think that's what you kind of get because there's sort of that prime time for DVD special features. And sort of we've had the ones that were too old to really get anything. And then these are the ones that were sort of too new. The people were sort of over special features. But that gives us really only like a five, six year period where it's peak special feature time. I know, I know. But then, um, so I rented this film from iTunes. And oh, yeah. There was iTunes extras available, but only if you bought the film. So I wanted to know what, oh, you know, that was. That's so shit. Um, yeah. You should get it if you rent it. I know, oh, right? God. The whole system is... Fucked. Yeah. yeah, that was it. The only other cool things about the DVD was they had little icons instead of words for the menu. Mm. That was kind of cute. And there was a great ad at the start of the DVD when the DVD initially went on for 100 years of Universal Pictures, some kind of documentary. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like showing film clips of all these Universal Pictures films, which I quite liked. Yeah. And that was it. That's the DVD. I know. I do love those ones where like... I'm trying to think of like, I th- feel like some of the smaller DVD producers would sometimes do like coming soon from Focus Features and it would sort of just be like, it puts you in the mood, I think, for watching movies. Yeah, definitely. Well, when I when I actually first turned it on, I didn't realise that the DVD had started playing. I thought it was still on TV and I was like, what are they advertising? <laughs> some retrospective? <laughs> and then eventually it clicked that it was the start of the DVD. Um, so Paul, you've got a decision to make. I need to make a decision. This might be, this might be a controversial one. Wait, I need, actually, I need some advice from you first. So you couldn't find this on Stan or on Netflix? No, I couldn't. I might keep it. What? I am shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Just because I think when I get to, when I get to teaching media to the junior years, like, I don't know when we'll start media at my school. We're, you know, still deciding on subjects and stuff, but... I'm imagining it's going to be around year 9, year 10, so I'll still need something that's PG. And if I can't find it online, I don't want to have to buy it again. If I've got it on DVD, I may as well keep it. So, yeah, I think I'm going to keep it as a teaching tool. That's a sensible economic decision. Thank you, Paul. (laughs) All my decisions come down to economics, as you know. Yeah, I don't think I own any Wes Anderson at all. So this is the one and only for our podcast. Mm, Could be. That's a bit sad. I wouldn't mind doing another one. I know, right? Maybe I'll have to go buy some. We'll have to think about purchasing. So this was episode fifty. Oh fuck! Yeah. Really? Shit. And to celebrate a half century, for our next few episodes released fortnightly, remember, folks, we're gonna go with a bit of a. We're gonna attack one of my box sets. I'm scared. Oh, as well you should be. <laughs> so this is a five film box set. Wait, as long as it's not the Japanese horror no, that we started. No. Okay. This is um, looking at Mr. COVID himself. 
Tom Hanks. <laughs> what a name. Um, uh, great. Okay. Yeah. What movies have we got? So we've got a really... It's. I love these about the actor box sets because you sort of normally get one good film and then filler. No! <laughs> is that what we've got? So we've got... Oh, fuck. We've got Road to Perdition. We've okay. got that... Haven't that thing it. you do. Haven't we've seen got it. Big. Have not seen it. We've got the one, the man with one red shoe. Also have not seen it. And we've got it. Bachelor Party. Have not seen it or heard of it. Yeah. Um, you're not going to have a good time with Bachelor Party, Beck. I'm oh, just going to put no. that out there from the very start. No, Paul, you forget that I love to rant, so I'm probably going to have a great yeah, time. Um, Bachelor Party oh has God, been the one really that's bad? been hard to find and probably rightly so. So... I guess, dear listeners, we'll decide on an order we're going to watch them, whether it be chronological, whether it be in order that we can find them on streamers. Um, Whether it be in order of what we think we can cope with that week. Um, But yeah, five Tom Hanks films coming at you. Get excited. That's so sad. The Tom Hanks films that I would want to watch, ready? Mm -hmm. That one where (laughs) he... (laughs) I actually can't remember any of the names. Okay, the one where he thinks he's got a brain cloud and then he's going to jump into the volcano. That's not Tom Hanks. Is that Tom Hanks? Okay, scrap that. The one with Wilson. Oh, yeah. Um, Castaway. Castaway. That's what I'd like to watch. Um, that's it. Okay, great. Um, and you've got none of those options, and I gave you so many options to choose from. No. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll discuss all of them, I guess, when we come across them. Um, but okay. get ready, listener. Uh, remember to follow us on all the socials at DVD Clutter. Yes. I mean, nothing happens on there often, but you feel free to follow. Yeah, that's just it. Yeah. And tell your friends about us. Yeah, why not? They've got nothing else to do. <laughs> um, but most importantly, please stay safe. Wear your fucking mask in public. Stay home if you can. Go get sick if you're tested. I'm giving lots of very excited thumbs up. Uh, you, you didn't even notice, Paul. You're going to notice that when you edit what I just said then. Yeah. What? No, you said, what did wear I say? your face marks. If you're sick, go get tested. Yeah. No, I said, go get sick if you're tested. Oh, no, I, I did not notice that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, you know the deal. Um, we will see you next week with a Tom Hanks film of our choosing. Bye. What will it be? Bye. Yeah, I mean, it's it was interesting. Oh, can you hear Peggy? Sure can. <laughs> I better just go see to her. Yeah. Sorry, I'll be back. <laughs>